listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week 16th to the 20th of April. Uh, it was a big one. We had uh, David O'Doherty in to talk about his uh, international comedy festival show. It was very fun. Talked about his times being a bit on a graveyard shift at Triple R. Yeah. Also, uh, we had a chat about merchandise. What would our merch be? And uh, Jeff came up with the brilliant Sparrow's Mud. Uh, mm. So listen out for that. To find out what that is. Don't, yeah. don't steal that idea. It's mine. <laughs> uh, uh, we talk- oh. Also, sorry, pardon me. Carry on. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we had a chat to Lady Rizzo um, about her show Red, White and Indigo. Uh, we're ending the week like we began it. Uh, we talked about having sleepovers at people's houses, both in the past and today. And we talked to Julian Burnside. He's got a film out called Border Politics. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. You have to laugh. Is a show on at the Comedy Festival. It's playing at the Forum. The man behind it is David O'Doherty. He's joining us now in the Breakfasters studio. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you very much. I think for the, the key to the, that as a show title, you have to laugh. It has to be in capitals. Because if it's in lowercase or even just capitals on the first letters of each word, it's like the title of one of those terrible sort of uh, golf retirement books. Yeah. You know what I mean? By a light entertainer. Yeah. Like, you have to laugh. Whereas mine is specifically like, you have to laugh! As in, there is no option at the moment. Because it makes me want to ask you, what, what horrible thing has happened... In the, the beads and exfoliator are <laughs> making uh, fish, turning them into werewolves. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's uh, I, I think it was just a cumulative thing. We yeah. opened the show with a list of all of the things at the moment in the world that cause uh, black smoke to come out of my ears just before I go to sleep every night and check my phone. Just when I'm finally relaxed, I'm like... I wonder if there's anything in the world at the moment that would prevent me from sleeping. (laughs) And then I find new awful things. Have you heard about how much plastics there are in the ocean right now? Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh, Yes. And it's a swirl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even, in fact, the one from yesterday is um, the North Atlantic Drift, the Gulf Stream, the thing that sort of warms Ireland and all of Europe, is apparently stopping, which will cause Ireland to be like Greenland. So we've got that to look forward to as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a real chuckle fest. <laughs> I mean, once we get out of the way, we find, you know, this turns out there are some funny things in the world. Yet the backdrop to it is just relentless awfulness. Yeah, bit grim. So the festival's been going for quite a while. How have the shows been going? <laughs> the uh, Yeah, they've been super fun. I, I really enjoy coming here. And this is how many? This is what your seventeenth year? Do you reckon? I yeah, it was just the I came when it was Batmania, and it was just a few tens. <laughs> <laughs> and I would do material based on gold, and uh, yeah, and then uh, over time we've evolved. Yes, to trams and rhinos and all of the classic. Uh, <laughs> Melbourne topics, uh, shops where you're not sure what they sell. That's my that's my thing at the moment. I I, I walked in from Fitzroy into the city the other day from like deepest Fitzroy mm. and past six shops where nothing of the window display alerts you to what they're trying to sell. Like there's a geometric shape, one of those wire geometric shapes, and like a bowl of limes and a classic <laughs> penguin yellow book. Just sitting there. And there's someone inside trying to sell a product <laughs> and or a service. But all you know for sure is that they're sitting in very cold air conditioning and staring out, just shaking your head, going, whatever this is, it's not for you, David. Just walk on. Just keep walking. Carry on to it. Uh, and then my, um, yeah, the other thing in the last year that I've noticed about Melbourne seeing as we're getting on to our Melbourne, what David, what have you noticed it's changed <laughs> Melbourne recently section, is joyless ice cream parlours. As in, I always think about bringing my nieces to an ice cream parlour and then there's one where, like, it's disgusting sounding flavours in, served in, like, a printer cartridge with, like, a syringe <laughs> of... Oh. 
You know I, what I mean? Pistachio <laughs> so tarmac or something. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's Melbourne's leading the way in, in joyless ice cream. Do you know, Jeff had some ice cream yesterday that had grasshoppers in it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it was, yeah. That was pretty much exactly what you're talking I about. I think the dream is an ice cream parlour that the setup is so grim, children would just burst into tears. <laughs> I think that's where it's going. Uh, you were just telling us off here you're writing a second children's book talking about children's bursting into tears. How different is it? Writing- sixth children's book. Yeah, sixth? it's ridiculous. Yeah, I was writing for kids before I did stand-up. And uh, this is the first actual novel novel now. Yeah, and, right. uh, were they funny books before you did stand-up? Yeah, I... I, I I, I know no other way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just write a descriptive sentence without uh, putting uh, unnecessary descriptive funny stuff in it. The, the um, Yeah, it's been a patchy literary career of this where I started with kids and then the reason it's lovely to be back in Triple R is because this, in this very room, is where Daniel Kitson will be familiar to some listeners and Claudia O'Doherty of the, of the Sydney Parish Yes. We used to do graveyards here. We used to do two to six during the festival. Yeah, on the Monday nights. Yeah, so. you you did you did one or two, did you? No, I, I came in. Daniel did like a, a live performance in the performance yes, space late one that night. As well. Yeah, yeah. So I did one of those. Yeah, uh, or at least came along to one. So Daniel used to. Uh, jelly snakes was the lure to make you do it <laughs> and jelly snakes are fine for hour. So you'd start at two. And up until three, then the jelly snake crash comes. <laughs> oh, the, so he's used to this thing where every single time I ever was in the studio, he would get me to introduce a song that meant a lot to me. Sometimes yeah. with a sincere tale. Like my father's a jazz musician. So this is these songs that he'll be like, actually tell us why this means so much. And I'll be like, this musician was playing this when they died. And like the band ended the tune and because they knew the person was dead, like all of this. And Daniel would, I fell for this every single time, whatever the end of the anecdote, the end of it would be. And I go, and uh, here is that song. And he would put on Ignition by R. Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I fell for that 27 times. The same thing. Let's go back to your children's book. You you perform for for children as well, like at your book launches and things like that. Tell us about the the biggest differences between uh, the audience of children versus adults. Well, it's that if adults don't like a thing, they will sit there and at the end they'll go, yeah, that was pretty good. That's fine. You know what I mean? Whereas kids go... Mommy, I'm bored. <laughs> Why is he shouting? What is this? Why is this person? The um, So, yeah, the, the your two classic heckles being uh, uh eight-year-old girl. What is the point of view? Shouted that at me. Gosh. And uh, six-year-old boy, does this get good soon? They're the two biggies. But then, what is the point of view? Yeah, what is the point of view is so harsh. Like, that's literally what like Socrates took to the grave. Yeah, right? I don't think there is. Uh, oh. We're just stuck here, so you try and make your best of it. Anyway, on with the story. But, uh, yes, yeah, so this. So, so, one of the things about do, doing readings for kids, or I do shows for kids, is that you, you say your book is for five year olds, but obviously. Like parents are like, yeah, yeah, we bring them all along. <laughs> so inevitably, you've got like a two-year-old just grabbing onto your leg, you know, for a lot of it. And a 12-year-old rolling their eyes. Yeah, completely. A 12-year-old, yeah, drinking, you know, a triple espresso, <laughs> sitting there going, why, why is my personal brand? Why am I not getting the likes? I'm getting the page impressions, but not the likes. So it's a mixed bag, so you certainly have to be able to entertain everyone in that bracket. The new, so yeah, I've written this series. Claudia and I actually wrote, when when we were here doing this, we were we wrote two books, which were not for kids, but they're quite popular with kids, which was fake facts about animals, fake, fa- fake facts about, 100 oh. facts about sharks, 100 facts about pandas. The two books with the most confused Amazon reviews. <laughs> Uh, of they're either five stars people going this is very funny or people just going how dare you market this because nowhere do, do the books admit that they're not scientific journals but however the cover photo is like a panda working on the stock exchange so you would hope that 
they could uh, figure it out. Yeah, from that. Um, and then I wrote a series of books with an Irish illustrator called Chris Judge called Danger is Everywhere that was kind of definitely inspired by my Australian visits. You know, where you meet, I love when you meet people from Melbourne who are like, start telling you about dangerous mm. spiders and stuff. People who you know, if they encountered anything more than about three inches long, would, you know, set the house on fire, yeah. basically. Love to talk it up. So, so yeah, it, it's this series warning you what to do if shark comes up out of the loo. <laughs> uh, well, it's sort of based on nightmares that I had when I was six or seven. But then the frightening thing about that series of books is, so uh, one other section in it is uh, what to do if you're attacked by a polar bear on the way to school. Like this very specific, they uh, they hate magic tricks. So <laughs> you have to carry a pack of cards with you. And then last winter, two children in Iceland were killed by a polar bear <gasps> on the way no. to school. Then last summer, a snake came up out of the loo, you know, somewhere in uh, Africa. So it turns out it's like Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) Like everything I make up eventually comes true. Um, You perform with the keyboard at times to do songs and stuff. You're saying your dad was a jazz musician. Were you ever tempted to be a jazz musician or was it just always funny keyboard? Yeah, I I would love to be a jazz musician. This is an absolute (laughs) failure, this whole career. Uh, Yeah, Dad's 80, he's still going, he's still releasing records in Ireland. But then I think because I was always surrounded by really good musicians, like really, really good musicians. And then when I was 20, I... uh, became friends with a guy called Brad Meldow, who at the time was just like a 25-year-old New York jazz guy who's now probably the biggest, hippest person in jazz, uh, does big solo concerts and does Bach stuff. And and hanging out with him in particular, uh, he, like he would, you'd hear an ad for a carpet shop on the radio in the morning. <laughs> and that night he'd be like, I love that chord. Do you remember that ad this morning? And I would have no recollection of it. Wow. Yeah, and he would go, it had a 13th in it that made it really unexpected. And then he would turn a tune, he'd turn that tune inside out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were just aware that there are levels to these things. And whereas I could have like practiced my butt off and become okay, the world doesn't need another okay jazz musician. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to Well, I for one am very glad that you got into comedy. Thanks, Geraldine. You're very welcome. And before we go, have you seen any, um, have you seen much of the festival while you've been here? Anything that you've been really enjoying? Yeah, I've been outraged by (laughs) daytime uh, TV presenter Helen Badu. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, May or may not be connected to Anne Edmonds' work. Uh, she's got an incredible uh, late night show, and then uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen quite a few things that I've really liked. Here. I saw Reese Nicholson last night. I like to go and see the Aussies. You know, in, in um, I, I think when I started coming here, there was a perception, particularly among the the public and the festival, that oh, there's these fancy shiny internationals and people will want to go and see them. But I think now there's a realization, you know, from some incredible comedians who've come through, such as Geraldine and Thank Tom you. Ballard and Claudia and Celia Pacola and people like that, mm. that it turns out, you know, there's, there's, we, we don't quite have the same tall poppy thing that you have. So it, it, just being in Ireland, it's more like when I would have done a gig a few years ago at a festival, people would have been like, see, he's nearly as good as those Americans. <laughs> Whereas here, I think there was always a perception of like, there's no way they'll be as good as those people who've come in a plane. Yes, <laughs> planes make you funny. Uh, uh, that's why I've particularly enjoyed, yeah, going to see a whole bunch of Aussies this year. The show is called "You Have to Laugh" in it's capitals. In capitals, <laughs> with the exclamation mark. Maybe it's at the forum. The man behind it is David O'Doherty. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Three triple R. You're listening to Breakfasters with Sarah Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, Earlier this morning, um, Sarah, you mentioned that Nick Cave has joined up with Fast Times who makes skateboards and he's got his own skate. This happened, what, five years ago as well? Uh, Yeah, it happened five years ago. He made his first uh, Nick Cave skateboard. He's made another one. Got a new new deck. Has it got his face on it? No, or? it's just like cool art and they have a quote from a song. So this new skateboard has a quote, a grinderman quote on it. 
something like that, which makes more sense. Grind, gr- like you're grinding. Ah, yes. Grind. Yeah. Very good. More so than the first one, which uh, doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> what? Oh, the quote or just the fact that he's... Oh, just the Nick Cave. This is the original Nick Cave skateboard yeah. thing. But yeah, yeah. But it just make, makes you think, well, what if... What, what would you put your face on? Oh. You got you got some merch ideas? If as, as Sarah or as the breakfasters. Oh, you can do a bit of both. I reckon that we could have our own merch. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I was thinking an oven mitt because, oh, because oh. it speaks to all of our problems. Jeff's inability to cook, my yes. inability to get my oven fixed for three years, and, and your my oven that doesn't work. Now. Yeah, yes. there you go. And- <laughs> And and maybe our popular dinner reviews. Our popular dinner reviews. <laughs> our, everyone's favourite segment at 6.15 on a Friday where we talk about what we ate for dinner. And I feel like an oven mitt without maybe our faces on it or a mouth that open. You know when you open yes. and close yes. the mitt, one of our mouths open. Oh, you Hello, get, we're the breakfast. Yeah. Like it's a sweet combination of um, sock puppets and oven mitts. Yes. Yes. I like that. And no, maybe, that is a good idea. What do you have... Yes, I do have an idea. Um, I'm a bit reluctant to say this because it's always been the thing that I'm going to make my fortune out of. Pancetta. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Male cosmetics. Oh. Mm. What do you mean male cosmetics? Well, I reckon that, um, I mean, I know there is a certain market for male cosmetics already, Mm -hmm. but I reckon if you could convince men that they needed full cosmetics to go to job interviews and so on. Is this merch, Jeff, or is this just a weird (laughs) idea that you're talking about? This is a great idea. Yeah, it's good. Well, there's a whole billion-dollar market that would instantly open up. So, yeah, to convince... When you say... So you mean more like actually foundation... Foundation, lipstick, the whole thing. Yeah, so you call it Jeff's cosmetics? (laughs) Why do you need to um, gender it? Well, because it's gendered as already. Yeah. So, why and so you, you have you have to open it up so that there's a whole new market that's not being tapped into. There's some. There are some male cosmetics. That exist. There are some, yeah. but not the full. So is your is this is this your merch because your yeah. face is on it? Why not? <laughs> you... Sure, I could be the <laughs> the face. Fa- the face of it. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Well, the breakfast. You guys could be on it as well. Thank you. Oh, that's very kind, Sarah. In <laughs> Jeff's men's cosmetic <laughs> makeup. But do. You... You don't wear makeup, though. Is well, this no, because you the, haven't released your... <laughs> haven't released your, my, my your uh, line winter, <laughs> winter line. Yeah. Pa- patent pending, should <laughs> yeah. we say, just in case anyone else is going to... Yeah. I, I tell you, there's billions to be made from this. What would you call it, Jeff's face? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have to be... <laughs> it would have to be like some sort of manly kind of thing to get mm. men accustomed to the idea. So you'd call it like mud. Or like dirt. Where do you come into this? Well, it's my idea. <laughs> and I, I would help promote How it. How is this your... All right. It's actually pretty great. <laughs> it's really so, like, good. you get one of your football guys. Like, it's got to be someone who can sort of sell the <gasps> oh, idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and it'd be like show him doing manly things on the like, football field. And oh. then he'd say, I'm going out to apply for a job. <laughs> I best put some mud on <laughs> and then he could lather himself up. I like it. Yeah. It's I really true. like it. Oh, my God, it's that really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, don't steal it. It's my idea. Sp- How long have Sparrow's- you had this for? <laughs> Sparrow's mud. Sparrow's mud. Sparrow's wow. mud. But seriously, so, like, you just have to do that sort of marketing. To, you, you know, you've you got to make people feel insecure in yeah. order to sell them. You know, like the, the way that they suddenly convince people that something you've been doing for years is is wrong. Mm, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, same for the way you make men feel that if you're going... As insecure as women feel. Yeah. Totally. You go out for a job, but you, you don't have some mud on, you won't get the job. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been sitting on this I think, for? I think you need to go beyond the job interview, <laughs> yeah. though, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe, maybe, maybe just in general. In general. Going out to a club. Yeah. 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 Like if you do the football player thing and it's like when I'm out on the field and I'm, I realise I wasn't playing as well as I could be so I'll put some mud on my face. <laughs> Sparrow's mud. <laughs> Get it on your face. <laughs> oh, it's really There's good. billions of dollars to be made from that. Oh, man. I just, all I came up with for, for merch for you guys is like maybe um, T-shirts. But your t- Jeff, your T-shirt... Would say something like, um, "I'm not that good with hugs. Please, <laughs> please don't encourage, <laughs> encourage uh, no, no hugs. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, hugs. Uh, that's not merch. I would that would just be handy yeah. to have. 
and then um, and Sarah, your t-shirt would be like a, a retro style t-shirt, and then we'd get you dressed up. Um, like you know when the um, for the AFLW they had did the vintage. Oh, yeah, you dressed yeah. up like you you know from the eighties. Yeah, like you know big hair and stuff, and then we'd just get you um, just smoking ciggies. Take a photo at the back of Macca's. <laughs> take a photo of that, and then put that on a t-shirt. I like that. I wasn't at the back of. I was like a child in the eighties, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe nineties. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. Okay, early. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and what's yours? No, it's bit? yours. Uh, oh, my T-shirt would just be, um, I don't know, I didn't get to mine. <laughs> no, you could have, I think we should each have an individual piece of merch. I was yeah. thinking maybe, Jeff, yours could be one of those claws that reach for things. Oh, yes. Because hands so that people can grab as much food as they need or whatever yes. they want to grab. Yes, that would not only be good merchandise, but handy as well. Handy, yeah. no pun intended. Yeah. Jez, what could your piece of merch be? Um, oh, I haven't thought about this. What do you need the most? Oh, maybe something dog related. Oh, I was thinking perhaps. something dog related yeah. as well. Like a diamond studded collar. Oh, that electrifies them when they <laughs> park. No. Oh. Right. oh, no, no. no, no. Don't do oh, that. That's not a thing. Um, uh, may- or maybe I think you could have your own um, line of hair gel. Maybe oh, yes. Sparrow's Mud could have a side uh, thing for Jez's um, quiff. Yeah. Because you have get such some good mud hair. On your yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll get some hair product with my face on it. Oh, I think that would be good. And what about you? I don't know what I'd have. Maybe a piggy bank um, with my face on it. A swear, a swear piggy bank. Well, we've got a staff meeting today. We should uh, raise all of these ideas. Get some merch out there. Three. Triple. Hello, Sarah, Jeff, and Geraldine. Uh, what's going on? Uh, well, you're going to a slumber party tonight. Yes. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yes, I am. I am. It is a slumber there is party. There is a slumber party happening. So this is a friend of mine who I used to hang out with at the back of Macca's, actually. Oh, oh yeah. what lovely memories. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we were, yeah, so I think the last time I probably had a slumber party at her place, I was... 15 or 14 and it was New Year's Eve and uh, we'd set up a tent in the backyard so we could just get drunk. <laughs> the and drunk tent. Yeah. And uh, we drank. And smoked some ciggies we drank, out the backyard. Yeah. I'm sure and our parents definitely knew what we were doing uh, but we didn't think they did and we drank two litres of sherry between oh, mate. four of us. Oh, I know. That's such a 15-year-old story. I know, story. isn't it? <laughs> I feel like a year or two older you wouldn't have been satisfied with being in a tent in the backyard. No, in the backyard. I know because we could, they wouldn't, like one of our parents wouldn't let us go out so we were like, well, we'll, we'll show, show you. In our tent. Uh, and I think the plan was to sneak out but it just didn't happen because yeah, cause you drank two, two litres, litres of sherry. Sherry happened. I'm not encouraging irresponsible drinking for underage either. Yeah, that's no good. It's no good. Uh, but we're, and so obviously we've grown up and gone on to become successful human beings. Uh, now you're going to drink three liters of sherry. <laughs> yes, yeah. So she's having. She's turning thirty, and uh, it's just thought it'd be fun to hang out with uh, some mates, and we're going over to drink some champagne and hang Will out and have nipples. And no, there'll be no tent. Well, I don't think so. And what uh, about a pillow fort? Uh, pillow fight or a pillow fort? Pillow fort. Fort, yeah, build a oh, fort. I just thought you said fight with A blanket fort. Or a bit of yeah. pillow fort. A pillow fort. Fort. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah fort. Fort. <laughs> I just thought you were trying to say fight and I was like, why does she keep saying fight like she's a New Maybe Zealander? She's had a stroke on air. Yeah. <laughs> Could happen. Uh, there might be a bit of that. Some movies and some snacks. I it's don't know if I'm actually going to stay the whole night, though. That's the, yeah, that's Once you fair. get that sherry into you, you probably yeah. can't. <laughs> you want to go home. That's a, that's, a, that's a classic thing to do at a at the slumber party, I guess. You know, I guess, you know, when you're a kid, it's just the have a bit of food, you know, snacks, yeah. movies. Movies, yeah. I reckon the most exciting thing when you were younger, so not 15, uh, kind of like young, 12, having your first 12. Like first one. Yeah, yeah. first ones. Uh, was just the fact that you'd keep, we used to always hide snacks in our sleeping bags and our parents <laughs> definitely knew what was going on. Yeah, who but, bought the snacks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was just exciting eating snacks at 2am in the morning you, and yeah. you kind of oh. make plans. We're like, we're going to wake up at 2am and we'll eat the yes. snakes. And then you never did because you always 
were totally conked out. Yeah, just had melted chocolate down the bottom yeah. of your sleeping bag. So <laughs> like one of those things that you find out there are actually good reasons why your parents don't want you to do something. I know. Because actually having crumbs in your sleeping bag is not yeah. that good. Uh, oh, man, so much anxiety around a sleep. Oh, like, yeah. Like, in, like there was always uh, like the pyjamas that you'd wear. Oh, that was so stressful. Did you have this <laughs> stress, no, Jeff? Oh, oh my think god! I had that stress. Want- yeah. Oh no, it was a really big deal. It was, and particularly when you were say eleven and twelve as mm. a young girl, there was it, you didn't you weren't sure whether you'd be wearing more like grown up pajamas. Oh, you know, so yeah, some people yeah, would turn right. up and they'd have their cool print pajamas, and maybe I was wearing like a nighty that I would have worn when I was younger, and that was really embarrassing. You know, and you're like, oh, who wears nighties? No one wears nighties <laughs> anymore. That. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. All my traumas are coming up today. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I I remember sleepovers as being traumatic, but... Um, in not for the pyjamas. Co- not for pyjamas, but just it was kind of like the locus of all of those competitions. Because, like, also you're in someone else's house, so you see how they do everything and how their house is mm. run, and you're always kind of comparing it to how your house is run. And sort of also, too, you have to go through all the sort of, I don't know, like the rituals of things that you do, you know, when you're going to bed or whatever, it's yeah. always different. Yeah. Because when do you brush your teeth if you're going to eat snacks all night? Yes. Oh, that's so true. That's That was always the dilemma. Uh, my my biggest anxiety, I had, like, to begin with, like, early days, like 12, 13, that kind of age, was because um, I, I stuck my thumb for many, many years. Oh, so did my sister. <laughs> and so my biggest dilemma was... Do and, I? And you don't think about it, do you? Because it's unconscious, right? So you yeah. wouldn't know you were doing it. Oh, no, I knew. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, oh. But I, so my dilemma was always, do I do I just open up to everybody and go, hey, guys, just so you know, I suck my thumb. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> or, so you suck your thumb when you're going to sleep or just? Uh, yeah, I don't I Or don't sitting anymore. around and watching uh, TV yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like I don't do it anymore. But no, I, yeah, I've never noticed you doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for <laughs> many, do it at home. Yeah, for many many years, I was I was a thumb sucker, and so was my oh. brother as well. But um, I can't remember when I eventually let it go. Do but you, yeah, do, do you ever feel like if you put your thumb in your mouth? Oh now, yeah, it's yeah. It's like oh, that's a sweet relief. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want to talk about thumb sucking anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying Can trying we to, talk about something else? I'm trying to push it back. No. I'm just saying. <laughs> so anyway, the, the dilemma was, do I, you know, do I open up and tell everybody or do I just oh. hope that no one, like I'll wait until everyone else goes to sleep and and then I'll. Have a good thumb sucking time. Have a good suck. So that was that was my dilemma, and then and, uh, what, what happened? What, what would you do? Oh, like right at the last minute. I think if it was like just just me staying at a friend's place, I go, "Hey, just so you know, I, I suck my thumb." They go, "Oh yeah, that's totally cool." And then I'd never go over again. Um, uh, and what? Yeah. Oh, no, more just, no, no, no more. No more. Let it go. If, Stop being <laughs> weird about it. I'm not being weird. Just no just more. If you couldn't suck it, would no, you? Oh, move on. <laughs> would you get no. all like itchy or sort of? No, I just like a junkie um, or something. <laughs> I would. Uh, no, I'd be all right. I'd anyway. The end. Also, <laughs> the next when as I got older. Uh, the the thing was um, whether to take your bra off before going to sleep. Ah, oh. never liked doing it, and Jeff? it was always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can't. You know, can't and it was that. always the. Do you sleep in your bra? And I was like, yes, because I need to be ready to run at all times. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's a good enough. answer. It is yeah. a good answer. I don't know where I am. What could happen? I could have, you know, get up and get the snacks. So, if you slumber party now, is there anything? What would you do to make it the perfect slumber party as an adult? Uh, just Keep have my your bra own. On. Yeah, no, just have my own room. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. No one's welcome. Yeah, out you go. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Three triple R. 
You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R. The Melbourne Comedy Festival is coming to an end, but you still have time to catch some shows. In particular, you should go to see Red, White and Indigo at the Spiegel Tent at the Art <laughs> Centre, our show, the show featuring our next guest, Grammy Award-winning Lady Rizzo. She's joining us in the Breakfaster studio. Welcome to Triple R. Hi. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Hello. So cheery and happy. Well, yeah. I just <laughs> got to try. <laughs> uh, the blurb for this show describes it as about your love-hate relationship with bad boyfriend America. Was it put together before Trump has America moved from being a bad boyfriend to an abusive boyfriend? Yeah, right. No, I guess it was put together, you know, since I was born. But um, I really felt I've never made overtly political work. It's always been like the political through the personal. But when um, Pudgy McTrumperson got in (laughs) office, I felt like I had to, you know, make a piece about it because I was obsessed as is the first time I was sharing an obsession I felt like with the rest of my country, like waking up, reading the news. I mean, he's really got us on a short leash. Has the show kind of evolved as he has evolved? Yeah, a little bit. But part of it are feelings that I've had about America since the beginning. Like what were, what were my first kind of, how did I first understand that what kind of country I lived in, you know? Um, but yeah, there's definitely parts that have evolved yeah <laughs> parts that evolve daily actually yeah so you're a musician you're performing with a full band yeah. how what what are unites the songs that you're performing like how is the show structured uh, you you want to know my whole set list <laughs> <laughs> yeah, read them all out one okay. after another <laughs> uh, jeff jeff doesn't quite understand what cabaret is means okay yeah. well jeff maybe you should come see the show because <laughs> i got idea. that yeah. i got it um yeah i go back and you know i talk and then i make these seamless transitions into <laughs> song and um And I, you know, it's interesting to be at a comedy festival because, you know, I'm funny. I'm a comic (laughs) woman, but I'm never identify as a Uh. comedian. Sometimes I'll say chanteuse and comedienne, but always has an N N E at the end, and it feels like it's different. And people say, "Oh, well, do you do stand up?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm standing up when I do it, (laughs) but it's really." Um, I, um, so my patter is funny because I, I, I'm really in the art of mass seduction. That's what I practice. I seduce audiences and humor is a really great way to get in their pants. (laughs) (laughs) I found, I think you found that. Uh, abs- yeah, I mean, and in their hearts, whatever. <laughs> but always, always the pants. <laughs> so when you're talking about the love-hate relationship, what are the love parts of your relationship with America? Um, I love. Um, I mean, you can't ignore the long history of like music and art that has come mm. out of America. I mean, really, like you know, blues, R and B, uh, you know, jazz. It's uh, it's definitely a, a long legacy, and so many amazing artists in every field. Um, and so, there's got to be something in America that that um, fosters and grows this, even though we don't support artists, it's strange, like it's the, we create them. Um, and then I, I've always lived in these beautiful kind of diverse bubbles, you know, I live in New York City and it's a melting pot and I love living in a city that, that champions diversity and lives in a peaceful democracy with a lot of different races and creeds and sexual persuasions. And, um, and so it almost feels like there's two Americas, you know, so um, I'm fighting for the America that I love. I read somewhere that you were brought, you brought up in a theatrical family. I always yes. thought that that sort of background can either push people towards the stage or away from the stage. <laughs> right. In your case, obviously, it was towards the stage. Yeah, I always say I, I've rebelled only with glamour because I was <laughs> I was born to hippies. And so I've rebelled with uncomfortable shoes as well and um, sequins. Um, uh, but, yeah, I was born onto the stage. Basically, my parents had a... Um, well, but they they rejected. Um, they were hippies that rejected living in in large cities. They wanted to be kind of closer to off the grid, and they, so with a group of people, I was born into a commune. But then really? that kind of fell apart. The actual house because nobody was paying the mortgage except for my parents. Like that, oh, technicalities. <laughs> um, and then and so then they moved to kind of a, an area in enclave, and they started this. Uh, 
community like a theater company that did Brecht and uh, Shakespeare and Barnes and basements and and really uh, how I was raised was in the theater you know it was um, around shows always you have quite an exceptional voice a singing thank voice thank you yeah, G <laughs> can I call you G <laughs> yeah best uh, mates <laughs> uh, and it's funny, when we were doing that um, that gig together and you know we're yeah. at the back getting changed and the music that you were listening to um, is that was it Judy Garland that you were listening to, or is my memory wrong? I, it probably was Judy Garland that yeah. I was listening to. I love, you know, I feel like when I was in a teenager, I got obsessed with listening to Judy Garland, Aretha Franklin, and Janis Joplin, and I think that my voice is a mixture of those wow. three influences. I think that is spot on. Yeah. yeah. Three pretty good influences. Yeah. <laughs> but they're so different. And really, like, in one song, I'll go from one <laughs> to the other. But it's really this, like, rock growl mixed with this soul kind of smoothness mixed with this, like, 1940s, you know, Dorothy inside me. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Oh, thank you. I was reading somewhere else, and I hope I'm not giving anything away, that in your show you read out the poem that's on the Statue oh, of Liberty. Damn it, you're giving away the climax. No, 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 no it's all right. Yes, yes, I do. But it's I, amazing reading those words and just thinking if you said them today, every politician would attack you as, you know, oh, destroying Western civilization by inviting poor people to come to America. It is a beautiful poem written by Emma Lazarus, and I love that it's written by a woman, and I love that um, And she sounds like she was a Jewish woman, I'm just, I mean, I might just putting that on her because I'm a Jewish woman. But um, she she says in the quote, in the poem, mother of exiles. And I, that's who Lady Liberty is. And I just love that that is the symbol of America that we've we've lost, you know, that, you know, and part of Australia too, an issue yeah, that you guys are fighting so. with, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, it's such a beautiful identity to be this welcome, you know, welcome lantern in the midst of confusion. And it's really when I, when I feel most emotional and, and like, uh, and proud to be an American is when I read that poem. And so it's nice to read it every night or recite it. I've memorized it. <laughs> we were just talking off air. You've been in Australia for about two months now. More. Yes. Longer. Three. 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 Four. Four. Coming on Five. Four. You've been here for a year. <laughs> no, coming on four. It's four. I, came here. I came here in January, so yeah. You've been four. here a long time. Four and months. A long stretch of that was spent on the Gold Coast, which yes. is an interesting place for any person to spend <laughs> an extended amount of time. If you uh, had to take what you've learned about Australia and make it into a cabaret show like the one that you're doing right okay. now, what do you think would involve? What are the things that you've picked up on? Well, okay, so I was on the Gold Coast. I was in, in on a train station, station fl- platform at midnight and I had to pee really bad. It was a Narang. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I had to pee so bad that, and I couldn't find the women's restroom and so I was like, I'm just going to go into the men's restroom and brave it because, you know, that's the kind of girl I am. Gender is a construct. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, I plug my nose, I go in and it like it smelled incredibly clean in there and it was spotless. And my argument for gun control has always been Australia, Australia. Listen to what Australia did. And my, I always end with a Second Amendment nut. Like, how do you think that you are a different kind of person than an Australian is if they, you know, because they always say gun control wouldn't work. And I went into this bathroom and it was so clean in the middle of the night <laughs> on a train station. And I thought, my argument doesn't work. You are different people. <laughs> You are at core, you're at core different. There was a container on the wall for used gum. Like, what the fudge? You care about other people. What's wrong with you? I feel so uncomfortable. You care. I feel like offering you a tour of revolting bathrooms. (laughs) Right, I know, I know. I'm sure there's there's alternatives you could give me. But I, I do feel like what I've learned is that I mean, obviously, you're trying to make up for some lost time of like, you know, I don't know, some genocide that has happened here. But um, but I I feel like that in general, like there is there is a forward thinking nation in, you know, in in Australia that is. Uh, leaps and bounds as far as like thinking about the community experience, yeah. mm. even in small items like 
gum on the, you know, that someone took money to make a box to put used gum in. <laughs> it's insane. And, and so that excites me because I grew up in a communal way, you know, so, um, so that's dreamy. But, um, but, you know, also there's not enough angst and, you know, and I, and I miss tip culture because I love quick and speedy and friendly service. <laughs> Um, sorry. <laughs> the show's called Red, White and Indico. It's on at the Spiegel Tent at the Arts Centre. We've been talking to Lady Russo. Thanks so much for coming. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. The Human Rights Arts and Film Festival is presenting the world premiere of a film called Border Politics coming up on the 15th of May. It's a documentary that follows human rights barrister Julian Burnside as he crosses the globe examining the treatment of refugees. We're very fortunate to be joined now in the Breakfaster studio by Julian Burnside himself. Welcome to Triple R. G'day. You, you worried me. You said the 15th of May. I think it's the 12th, isn't uh, it? Um, I've got the history of May, but... Um, I'm going to have to have, uh, change my diary if that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday, Saturday the 12th of May at Acme, 8.30. I'll have to do it. We'll um, get back to you on yeah, that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> please, please do. Uh, the film follows your journey as a refugee advocate, but you explained very early on that you weren't always concerned about refugees. In fact, you started your career as a conservative corporate lawyer. What is it that made you so aware and conscious of the refugee issue? Well, um, I was when when the Tampa episode happened in Australia in two thousand and one. Um, what had happened is the Tampa was a Norwegian cargo ship. It rescued a bunch of Afghan refugees whose boat had fallen apart on its way across towards Australia, and the Australian government asked the Tampa to go and rescue them. It did, uh, and the captain of the Tampa then had a problem because he's got these sort of few hundred people on the decks of a ship and they're in a bad way, and they need some help. So he headed towards Christmas Island, which was on his route, and um, the government of Australia said, you can't enter Australian territorial waters off Christmas Island. Um, So he was stuck, but he decided to do what maritime tradition says. He steamed into the waters, Australian territorial waters off Christmas Island. Howard sent out the SAS who took control of the bridge at gunpoint and then there's a standoff that the boat isn't going anywhere. And uh, and so a guy who had recently briefed me in a commercial case came up with a very clever idea of a legal thing that might resolve the impasse and he asked me if I would appear. So I said yes because I thought, well, it's just pretty miserable holding a bunch of people on the steel decks of a ship in the tropical sun. And um, by doing that case, I learned a lot of stuff I didn't know about our treatment of refugees, and I was pretty shocked. And I decided that what I would do is try to persuade the public to change Australia's policy in relation to refugees. I figured it would take about six months. (laughs) 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 Yeah, well, I got that wrong. (laughs) Um, And uh, and so I started uh, accepting every invitation to speak about what we were doing. And here you are. And here I am. <laughs> One of the 17 re- years later. <laughs> God, give me a break. But I tell you what, there's an interesting little fact which a lot of people overlook. Um, the When we went to court, to the federal court in the Tampa litigation, um, we got judgment from Justice North. It was handed down at 2.15 in the afternoon, Melbourne time, on the 11th of September 2001. <gasps> And nine hours later, the attack on America yes. happened. Oh, wow. And, of course, all of a sudden, all terrorists are Muslims, therefore all Muslims are terrorists, all boat people are Muslim, therefore all boat people are probably terrorists, we need to be protected from them, they're illegal, blah, 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 all lies. Absolutely bullshit, mm. but, you know, that's the sort of stuff that that government did. And um, by calling them illegal and calling the exercise border protection they persuaded a lot of people who didn't have time to think the thing through mm. and didn't have access to the facts. They uh, they made people think, oh, it's probably a good idea, yeah, protect us from criminals. Mm. One of the refugees who appears in the film says that becoming a refugee is the most difficult decision anyone can make. And he describes it as like cancelling your life. Mm. It's an obvious but very important point is that it's often missing from the debate here that this is not something that anyone is going to want to do. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, especially because that the, the ones who get here are coming to a culture which is radically different from their own, speaks a different language, has a different script, you know, different writing. And, um, I mean, I, can, can any of us imagine what it must be like to grab whatever we've got, throw them in a backpack and, and head off half a world away to a country where they don't speak our language and they everything is different. I mean, it's just nightmarish. And the interesting thing, a lot of people say, you know, a lot of people who want to keep refugees out, they say, well, look, they pass through other countries on the way here. And that is true, um, although very few of them do actually come here. Um, but the countries they pass through have not signed the Refugees Convention and don't offer protection and don't guarantee that they won't send the people back to be persecuted. Now, of the refugees who get to Australia as boat people, uh, historically, over the last like 20 years, about more than 90% have been assessed by us as genuine refugees. And yet we think it's okay to treat them cruelly. Yeah, they fall at our feet and we hurl them off to Manus and Nauru. Mm. In, the, in the film, you, you kind of go around and take in different people's and different countries' attitudes towards refugees, uh, attitudes that are often shaped by the leadership of a country uh, as it has been in Australia. I was really taken when you... I'll, I'll assume there are inverted commas around the word yeah, leadership. leadership, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So-called leadership. I was, I was taken by uh, your visit to a small town in Austria, though, where the townspeople who were quite conservative have welcomed refugees in really with open arms, and that's despite Austria recently voting in a kind of semi-fascist mm. government. What do you think it was that shifted their perspective on refugees? It, actually, it wasn't Austria. It was southern Bavaria. Oh, very, yeah, very, was, close, yeah, very yeah. close to Austria, but southern Bavaria. And you're right. Uh, I went to three towns in southern Bavaria, and the mayors of those towns were all kind of sceptical about the idea of resettling refugees in their community, mm. but they decided they decided they're human beings, they need help, so we will welcome them into the community and they put them, deliberately put them in accommodation in the centre of the town, not at the edges. Mm. And they have actually, all of those three mayors have changed their attitude significantly. They now think they're glad that they made those people welcome and gave them a safe place to be. Mm. But uh, Germany's, Germany's response to refugees has been remarkable. You know, a Angela Merkel repeatedly said, you know, we can manage it. Mm. And, and they, you know, I mean, it's fantastic. You see footage of, of um, German citizens at railway stations applauding as refugees get off and ask to be protected. Mm. What is it, sorry, that, that they do, other than just welcome them, you know, in, by saying you're welcome, what is it that, that Germany does that's different everywhere else that makes it work? Um, when you say different from everywhere else... Um, well, here. Better, different, <laughs> from, different from here, everything. <laughs> um, I mean, they, they make them welcome. They, they give them a place in the community and, um, you know, they actually treat them like human beings. That's the problem. In Australia, we've managed to be persuaded by dishonest politicians like Howard and Ruddock and, and Abbott and Dutton, God... Um, we've been persuaded to thinking of these people as not actually human mm. and not deserving any sort of decent treatment. And that's shameful. Mm. You know, I mean, of all the countries I went to, I have to say, I think Australia is doing it worse than anywhere else. Wow. Mm. Uh, I mean, and, and we are regarded that way. You know, even in England where Brexit suggests that they want to uh, back away from their human rights obligations, even in Britain... Uh, they were looking askance at what Australia is doing, saying, you know, it's really pretty bad. The argument that Australian politicians make is that cruel treatment is necessary as a deterrent because otherwise refugees will make a dangerous journey across sea and yeah. people will die. What policy do you advocate? What policy would um, you like to say introduce in Australia? Okay, uh, let me step over that and I'll come back to it. The argument that you hear a lot of coalition MPs say, they say... We're worried about them drowning. Well, what do they do? What do they do to the ones who don't drown? They punish them. I don't believe them for an instant when they say they're worried about people drowning. Mm. I think they're lying to us consistently with all the rest of the lies they tell. Um, what policy would I adopt? I'd say, okay, I'm not into open borders, although on Twitter a lot of people think that I am, apparently. Um, I'm not into open borders. I would say um, 
we should probably increase our voluntary intake of refugees because we're not really all that generous um, and we've got a pretty big country. Compare the size of Australia, and I'm, I'll forget about the desert in the centre, the arable parts of Australia, compare that with Nauru, for example, where we hurl a bunch of refugees that we don't want. Nauru's land area is two square kilometres smaller than Tullamarine Airport. And we think they can cope. I mean, mm. it's just ridiculous. They don't have enough water for their own people, mm. let alone... We actually ship in bottles of plastic water to Nauru, plastic bottles of water to Nauru, because of the refugees. It's crazy. Sometimes it feels like this argument goes around in circles and circles in Australia and it doesn't seem yeah. like either side of politics is going to be shifting uh, anytime soon. What do you think needs to happen for that to occur? What, what needs to happen is for the Labor Party... I mean, the Greens are sort of... Their, their refugee policy is pretty good, but they're not going to take government anytime soon. Yeah. So the Labor Party have to be persuaded that they can be courageous enough to uphold decent human values. Uh, and that gets back to your question, Eva. I'd say that what we need to do is, um, first of all, increase our voluntary refugee intake and then say, we recognise these people are human beings. If they arrive here without prior authority, if they come here and throw themselves at our feet, we should treat them like human beings, treat them decently. So shut down offshore processing, um, bring all of the people who are left in Manus and Nauru to Australia. If they've been assessed as refugees, settle them in the community and make them welcome. If they haven't, then assess them. If they're refugees, put them in the community, make them welcome. If they're not, send them home. Um, and, I mean, start with the... Pro I was fascinated. In Scotland, one of the places I went to, uh, um, in the 12... Scotland's pretty small. The Scottish population is about the same as Sydney. Uh, in the 12 months up to the time that I went there, they had resettled more than a 1,000 Syrian refugees in the community and were actively welcoming them. They were really, really making them feel part of the community, not pushing them out to the fringes. Mm. And, um, and I said to some of the people there, I said, you know, it's amazing, you're doing that and we're doing what we're doing. How do you account for it? And they said, these people are human beings. They need help. Mm. Now, can you imagine any Australian politician saying that? Mm. You know, we, we are a disgrace internationally mm. and people see it that way because we are rich and comfortable and spoiled and we're acting like brats. Mm. You're a lawyer, obviously, and in the film you make a lot of reference to the various refugee um, conventions that Australia is flouting. Should we have any faith in international law, though? It seems to me international law is an instrument that is regularly flouted by governments with impunity. Like, for instance, these recent airstrikes in Syria seem to have no basis in international law. Mm. Nobody cares. Is this not a dead end for refugee advocates? Um, not entirely. Um, there's a very interesting book by an international lawyer called Philippe Sands, who, although he's an international lawyer, he writes very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Philippe wrote a book called Lawless World, <clears throat> which was published in, I think, 2003 or four. It's got an orange cover reference to Guantanamo Bay. And he makes the point in that that international treaties relating to trade are very strictly enforced and taken very seriously. International treaties relating to human rights are not easily enforced. And that's really your point. I agree with you. But international conventions about human rights... Uh, human rights do influence the way countries respond to us in connection with trade. Uh, I, I don't think it's powerless. It's not as powerful as we need, but it's not powerless. Mm. The, uh, the film is called Border Politics. It is premiering on 15th May in Melbourne. Um, I want to talk to your people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Unless <laughs> my details are wrong, people should jump on the Human Rights Arts and Film Festival website um, for more details. The festival itself is running to between the 3rd and the 18th of May. We've been talking to Julian Burnside. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.